you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Coming up on Total Access, The Locker Room. People ask me today, Thomas, would you have been fired in October if you would have won the Super Bowl? And I will say right now, I don't believe I would have kept my job. Welcome to NFL Total Access, The Locker Room. I'm Michael Robinson alongside Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick. Coach, what's up? Doing great this afternoon. Yes, sir. Let's get it. We're going to let you guys in on what players and coaches really talk about inside the locker room. And today we're welcoming a man who's been on the podcast before, but he's got more to share. Former NFL GM and executive of the year, Thomas Dimitrov. And guys, you are in for a huge story. I bet none of you knew that he was a part of the grounds crew with the Cleveland Browns. You got to listen to this episode. Yeah, and going from there to becoming the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons and the disappointment in losing to the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Let's welcome back in one of the most talented talent evaluators the National Football League has ever seen, Thomas Dimitrov. Welcome back to the podcast, big dog. Gentlemen, happy to be back. Happy to be back. Absolutely. Now, you, you, you know how we do things. We start off with the locker room story. Could be a war room story in your case. You're you know, a former general manager. But yes, it's your turn again to bless us with another locker room story. Okay, let's, let's go here. Instead of the, the draft room, it, it actually happened in the draft room. So, and, and again, Brian has a really good understanding of this. <laughs> we're, we're getting closer and closer to the draft. You know, tension starts building. And more and more things start kind of slipping out. Again, it's not, they're not monumental, uh, you know, blow ups from our organization, but little tidbits of rumors coming out of who we're going to draft and things were just too close to home. Yeah. I started like getting more and more agitated. Smitty and I would be in the other room and, you know, Mike, you get all red faced, like we got to take care of this damn thing. And, you know, and I'm like, you're exactly right. I said, you know what? I was, I probably wasn't as, as, as agitated, but I, I thought I'm going to, this is going to be a contrived move here. So I walked down the hall and I'm like, and I'm, I'm not, this isn't my mode. Right. But I started yeah. saying, all right, everyone in the draft room now, right now. And everyone's like, what is going on here? TD's losing okay. his mind. He's, you know, he's, he's Mr. Agitated. I mean, <laughs> we thought he was a cool and collected guy during the draft. I get everyone lined up. I get all the scouts that were in there at the time, all the, um, all the football operations people, Brian, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the coaches, of course, they were on the other side of the building. Mm -hmm. And then I get right beside me at the front tables. I had my directors, you know, my, my main, main guys, you know, and um, I was there and I told them like, look, I got, I got to make a point here. So I, I proceeded to say, look, if any one of you effing guys is ever going to let this information out, I will find out who in the effort is and blah, blah, blah. And you guys will be fired. It will not, you know, and, we're going, we're going on and on about it. And all of a sudden, one of my directors, my bit, my like legit <laughs> right-hand guy goes, check my phone. You can check my phone. I don't care. Check my phone. And I'm like, 
Yo, no, I'm trying to tell these guys and teach them a lesson and you're outing yourself. <laughs> oh the whole, the whole building or the whole group just kind of looked and thought they looked at each other and this guy was kind of like, Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. I was oh, <laughs> he told on himself, man. Oh, dude. I, I look, I always wondered like when you see the insiders, some of our insiders at NFL network and they get some of these, you know, they, they get word and they, or they get information how does that affect the building? Um, how does that affect the, the the guys that are actually making uh, the decisions? But I'm going to start here with you uh, today, Thomas. I thought it was fascinating, just your journey, how you got to where you are in the National Football League. You spent time in Canada and Japan scouting players. Uh, first of all, I need to know how the hell you get that type of a job. Okay. And then I found out that you were working the grounds crew. Okay. At first, with the Cleveland Browns under Bill Belichick, at first I thought they said you were part of the Browns crew, but no, the grounds crew, cutting grass and all of that stuff. Now, did did that actually happen, or was that just a cold job, but you were actually scouting players? No. So here's what happened. You want to just talk about the Cleveland situation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, very, very quickly. So I started off in Canada scouting in the Canadian Football League. And then I got a chance to work in the world league down in Dallas and in the league office, it went, it was defunct within a year and a half. I had an opportunity to go up and work with a buddy of mine who was running the Hitachi team. You get a kick out of this, Brian, I'm, you know, from an academic standpoint, we're over there with some really, really smart people and this all engineers. And, you know, they just can't play a lick, but they were (laughs) literally, I was a D coordinator for, for uh, a guy, um, Larry Donovan. I don't know if you remember Larry, he was a Washington state guy way back then on the West coast. And I was like doing drills and I didn't have a helmet on and I'm hitting these guys, you know, because we grew up, you know, knowing how to get our head around and they're all looking at me, you know, thinking I was this crazy guy, Gene. And anyway, so I spent a little bit of time there. I, I ate a lot of sushi, believe me. And, and I came back stateside. I didn't have a job. My dad was working for the Browns at the time. I was in between scouting jobs and I thought there is no way in the world that I want to get into the business world because I had a couple offers and I thought if I get into the business world, someone's going to pay me exponentially more than I'd be making now. Yeah. And then I may not want to go back because it was, <laughs> right. we were making a business. Everyone thinks NFL scouting and coaching. You, we know that that's not the case. <laughs> so I get back and I tell my dad who's working for the Browns. I'm like, Hey man, if, if we can get something um, so I don't have to, you know, I can be around the building. So he said, look, we can talk to the grounds crew. So that's how I started working the grounds crew. But what the, the other side of the story is I was working the grounds crew. The grounds crew people didn't believe me that I had any ties to the building. They're like, yeah, yeah. You want to be a scout, whatever, buddy, things like that. I'm, you know, brushing things up during the day, mid afternoon, I would go up, meet with Pioli, George Kokinas, who, you know, coach, uh, different people that were on that staff. And we'd talk football. I'd be all gunked up in, in paint and smelly, what? you know, BO and I'm there hanging out, but then I'd have to go back and do my work. And, you know, they would see me out the windows, pushing a broom or doing whatever else I was doing maintenance wise on Thursday, Fridays and Saturdays. However, I was working for Lynn styles at the time. At, uh, you know, I was yeah. moonlighting, believe it or not, that Bill Belichick let me, I don't know, maybe he didn't know, let me scout for another team while I was in his building of all what? people. <laughs> so, well, you know, I had some fun with that and, you know, I didn't get paid at all by Kansas city or I don't, I think they still owe me some money. Then <laughs> of course is no longer there and, and such, but th- those were the times when I was trying to do whatever I could do to stay in football, even if it meant, you know, grounds crew. But I will tell you the last part of the story over the years, I've gotten letters and calls and whatever emails from people who are saying, 
they think it was only, I was a literal ground crew, grounds crew guy. And I got to a GM job. I'm like, there's a little more to that. <laughs> Two steps in between there. Yeah. I'm going to back up just a second because you mentioned your dad was a coach and then got into personnel. When did you, cause you know, we all grow up and you want to play. And then maybe some of us, boy, I can remember wanting to coach as far back as I can almost remember wanting to be a player. When was that point where you thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go to the personnel side rather than the, maybe the coaching side. It's a, it's a great point. All my life, I, you know, through those years with my dad, you know, he's at Miami of Ohio and he was at Kansas state. He was a Canadian football league. I was always that kid in the room back and doing all the stuff that, you know, all your children did, you know, all about that. You've seen it. All I ever wanted to be was the most badass defensive coordinator in the NFL. As I was growing up, that's That's what I wanted to be. I did. Sorry. No offense. I didn't want to be on the offensive side. I really wanted to be on the defensive side. So by the way, when Smitty came on, I thought, wow, two defensive minded guys at the core. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you draft a quarterback. quarterback quarterback. (laughs) But, but I I think it was probably uh, somewhere along the line. My dad didn't have the good fortune that you had for, for, you know, getting to the levels that you had in coaching. And we all know there's some tough, tough, tough knocks in that profession. And he said somewhere along the way, as I was growing through it all, he said, look, give personnel a shot. See if you like it. You know, maybe there's another, you know, avenue towards, you know, rising through the ranks and, and maybe you like it. If you don't, we'll get you a GA job somewhere. And that was when I had decided after graduating, I had gone to school in Canada. I'm not Canadian. I make that very clear. I have some <laughs> wonderful friends who are Canadian, but I am a proud, proud American. I, I yeah. make very clear, but you know, I started working in the Canadian football league at that time. That was my first go around as a scout. And I started realizing I really did appreciate evaluating talent and movement. That is something that I've, that that's the starting of my evaluation of any position is fluidity of movement. And I, I take a lot of pride in that. And then along the way, again, I still was back and forth wondering, wondering if I wanted to coach because I loved that side of it. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, as you know, we have to make a choice along the way. And, and, and Michael, you, you, you might not know this. We ever get a scout in our building and we know that they want to coach. We're quick to say, Hey, you need to go over to coaching now and vice versa. Probably really? maybe not as much. Ryan, but for us, we wow. didn't want guys in our scouting department traveling all over the country at these colleges, you know, occurring favor with some coaches and getting a job, you know, at Alabama or uh. Memphis state. That was important. You, you, you were under Bill Belichick for a little bit. Uh, you rose to what? Uh, Director of College Scouting, right? With the Patriots. Just talk to us about what you learned from Bill because, you know, I, you know Pete Carroll was my coach out in Seattle who I obviously worked with Bill too. And when I talked to Pete about Coach Belichick, he said, coach is a coaching savant. This guy understands certain situations that I hadn't even thought about yet. You know what I mean? Just talk to us about some of the lessons that you may have learned from that great man. Well, I, I, I go back to, first of all, no question, incredibly intelligent and at times, you know, ahead of it where he would try to simplify things because he knew that everyone else was going to try to complicate that. I remember some of that coming out and one of the things I carried with me a little bit as well, like sometimes in, in simplicity, you can find massive complications and, and intricacies, uh, which I thought was, was brilliant in and of itself. Indisputable role understanding. You've probably read that before. That yeah. is Bill. That was my way of saying it, coach. It was do your effing job. Mine was a <laughs> role understanding. I take a lot of pride in semantically uh, cleaning it up. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't have quite the same effect, but it, 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 you did clean it up. Amongst you academics, it might, but uh, yeah. you know, maybe not the, the, the rank order that, that needs to hear that, of course. So indisputable role understanding. Uh, I, uh, the other thing was, you know, I think 
Bill was one of those people that I thought did a really good job of understanding. He could take a player who probably only possessed, you know, talent A, B, and C, uh, and take him over the player that had all the other talents, X, Y, and Z. But he knew that where that player would fit, he would fit him in ideally and let him thrive in the A, B, and C traits that he would thrive in. And he would get the most out of those players. And I was always fascinated by that. He was very, very clear on what he wanted across the board, not only defensively, of course, but offensively. And, and, and was, it led to our scouting department and, and it carried over to most of us who were there and definitely me about being very, very definitive about what you want and what you see and what you need. Bill had no patient, what, patience whatsoever, uh, Brian, with, you know, you're the head coach and some, he, you ask a question and there's a scout or a personnel director, hem hawing, and yeah, he's kind of this. It was about definitive. And if you weren't direct with what you saw, he very quickly, you could see it. He yeah. would, not that he wow. would necessarily disrespect or anything like, but you could tell moving forward, you lost sort of credence with him and, 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 and validity with him. I remember one of the first things I ever did with him. And I, I came in, we're on the draft board and I was a national scout. I had come from Cleveland and, you know, this was after I was younger and, and kind of working in their organization around him, but not knowing him that well. Mm-hmm. And, and, I had the unlikely task and maybe not uh, much to my chagrin coach. I had to be the, the safety expert with Bill Belichick. And I thought you gotta be oh, God. safety. And, expert. And I remember Pioli was laughing probably was because that? he was thinking, no, here you go, buddy. Let's, let's see what you can do. And I thought, Oh man. <laughs> so the first question he asked, we're talking about, you know, the Patriots. And he said, what do you think about Lori Malloy? And, I, and I'm thinking, Oh my God, what do I say about this? You know, this guy is his guy. And, and, you know, he's always been behind him. And Lawyer was a stud, of course. You, yes, you played with him as well. Yes, I did. Yep. Um, Michael, but we get up there and, I'm, and I start saying, well, you know, he's, you know, he's a, he's a tough ass and he, he does this and that. And it's really, really, you know, and Bill stops me. He just said, do you really think that? And I thought, oh, my God. Oh, boy, here's a moment. <laughs> I started realizing where I was like, all right, what do I do, backpedal or not? I stayed strong in what I believed, and very quickly after that, he released them. So <laughs> I better do my homework a little bit more and make sure that I'm not, you know, trying to curry favor. And, and I wasn't really, but I just – it was one of those funky, funky moments where you're like, okay, one of the very best coaches in the history of this league, and, and I'm going to say – I'm going to disagree with him. And that was a good learning lesson for me, of course. I just, I did a, a podcast with Robert Sala uh, at, of the oh. Jets now. And we were talking about, I shared with him my experience that, that uh, you know, you, you train your whole life to become a head coach and how to interview and to have all your plans and whatever. And for me, it was, you know, you get the job and you, and, and when you sit down at the desk, it's like, holy what do I do now? You know, it's, it's, there's that real. Now you, you're on an 18 and one New England Patriot team. You've had unbelievable success, great mentoring from a future Hall of Fame coach, and you come down to Atlanta, which, for lack of a better term, was a show. Yeah, they've been through yeah. the Michael Vick and Petrino leaves, and now was there a moment when you and obviously a great opportunity for you. You work, you know, whole career to become a general manager, but when you get the job, did you have to sit down the first day and go, "Holy mackerel, what Why the I hell did I take this?" Oh, job? there is. That's a that's another great question. There's no question I did. Yeah, on one side is here's an opportunity of a lifetime. You know, let's let's roll with it. And when we were in the process before Mike got there. My, my biggest desire was to be with someone that I could team with who had, you know, like mind as far as we're very different in certain ways, but we had like mind about how we wanted to build things. 
We wanted the right, the right uh, mode, the right setting, the right environment, the right morale. I mean, Mike was so ideal for that coming off of, of Petrino, of course, and the Michael Vick situation, of course, Matt Ryan was ideal. So before we made some of those moves and, and Mike and I got together on it, we started realizing, Brian, where we were saying to people in the media, one thing was, you know, we, we weren't tied to Michael at all. So it was, it was quite easy deflecting that. That was one thing we were very fortunate. Rich McKay, who was still in the building, but had moved up in a way, was lucky that he moved up in a way because that would have been treacherous for him, of course. I remember there was so much discussion about that, but it was easy for us. And, and by the way, we would go out during those times, not only talking about Michael in our own way, but most people steered clear of it. We had nothing to go on, as you know. And when you're, a, again, back to neophyte general manager and head coach, and you're out trying to drum up interest, talking to, to, the, to, to the local, um, you know, whatever you know, groups it is, the, you know, all the different uh, city groups and such and the civic groups, and you're, you're, you're shooting from your hip, right? You're like, I, I remember finishing some of those you know, talks that we, we'd have and we would double team and we'd come away thinking, man, we just said what we said, but <laughs> really no, we have no pelts on the wall besides our growing up pelts. And it was complicated that way. We laughed sometimes because we thought, how in the hell did we do that in those first few months? And of course we grew in it, into it, of course. And, and there was a lot. And I realized after the fact that it was, it was a lot easier to go on it, knowing that Arthur had given us the, the go ahead to clean this damn thing up. Basically as he said it in other words, but that was a big part. And I think, I think Mike and I spent a lot of time talking about what we felt was right. And, and Mike was, as you know, he was a very, very loyal partner. And uh, I won't get into that, but there were a couple of early moments in some of those early games where he came to my defense, quite honestly. Again, we won't get into that. It's not worth it. But uh, some, some players saying some things and then Mike literally wanted to fight him. I loved it. I love it. <laughs> there you go. I mean, he had your back. And it's always good to be in a relationship, a friendship, whatever you want to call it, with people that you know that has your back. Now, um, Mr. Dimitrov, I have to ask you about Super Bowl 51. A crushing defeat for Atlanta. The Falcons led 28 to three, and New England storms back with 31 straight points to win 34-28. It may be a sore subject for you, man, but look, I, I thought you guys won the Super Bowl. I thought it was over um, with, what, eight minutes, nine minutes left. I thought the game was over. Just walk us through what your mindset was. You know, um, I I'm sure there was a time where you, you had started to go down to the field, you know, um, cause they don't do that when it's all zero. Just talk to us about that whole situation and kind of your feelings on it now. So think about this. We're sitting there at halftime we're, we're bopping off the walls up in the, in the owner's <laughs> suite and Arthur's, you know, air high five and everyone around, <laughs> there's a lot going on. Then we're inside and there's there, you know, we're eating, you know, we're eating everything. Like it's just, <laughs> it really started feeling like, like this is a picnic and my God, we're blessed. We are finally going to do for Arthur in the city, what needs to be done. And, and uh, we, you know, again, it was, it was, you know, we were thinking quite honestly at that point, And I say it respectfully. I mean, mm -hmm. I felt like we were a really explosive team then and we were flying around. I did not think that the Patriots could run with us. And I thought, you know, obviously, Brian, you know, it well, and Michael, you know, it. it's a matchup league. And if, if yep. these cats can't run with you, we thought we had a really, really, you know, amazing chance to finish it off as long as we could finish it off. We, you know, get through the third quarter, things are going the way they're going. And literally, normally Arthur goes down uh, to the sideline around 8.50 or eight minutes. 
I think we went down more like 12 or so. It was a lot earlier. And I normally would not walk down with him, but because of the, you know, the craziness of trying to navigate through the crowd, I went down early with him, which I sometimes look back and I think like that was the worst mistake that I could have ever made. I wish I would have been delayed in going down there, but we started off higher than a cloud. Of course I could just, I watched Arthur. I could see him. He was down with his, his uh, wife at the time. And I was down there a few yards away, like I normally did. And I was just, I was feeling proud as a peacock at that time. I thought, man, this is, we, we got this. This is unbelievable. It's finally going to happen. And, and you know how it is, Brian, when you're one of the guys in charge, one of the co-team builders, you as a head coach and me as a general manager, it's great to be an NFC championship or AFC championship uh, winning head coach or GM. Uh, but there's something about that final credential. Yes, you know it well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, man, I'm going to finally, I'm going to finally be in this, this spot after all these years. Then things start settling in and, and what an amazing, amazing is the wrong word. I know it, but it's amazing just because the waves of emotion that you have as things start playing out and things start working a certain way. And, and you, you know, you start seeing how things are all the way up to the point of Julio catching one of the most amazing yeah. catches in, in the history of the Super Bowls, I thought, which was going to take us home. Matt up in the pocket. Now going to cut it loose. Looking for Julio. What a catch. He made it catch. Unbelievable. Unbelievable grab. One foot down, two feet down. Unbelievable grab to high point it and get both feet oh, down. Oh, what a catch. And, uh, you know, that was all validated. And, you know, back to thinking about 11 as well. And I'm thinking, okay, it's all coming together here. And, and then, you know, we, we don't do it. We don't do it. We, we, uh, we have decisions. And, and whatever it was, there were some, there were some tough things which out, without getting into a ton of detail that, you know, we, we spent a lot of time after digging in to see what we would have done different, of course. And Brian, I would love to get your impression on it. And, and maybe it's a, it's well, a, I had, to, I, I was interested Run the ball. My bad. I was, uh, I was on a flight from Dulles <laughs> to Dulles because uh, I did my network stuff and thing. And, and so I'm watching the game on TV on the plane and I land and you guys are killing it. And I land. And by the time I get to the baggage claim, <laughs> It's like, wait a minute, are they, is this a different game? In fact, it was interesting. Baggage was coming off. No one was touching the bag. Everybody was, was watching the game. The game was on at the baggage claim. No one picked up a bag. Everybody was watching the end. And i tell you what occurred to me. And, and I'm just, like we say here, we kind of keep it real. My thought for you and Dan was, and I, and I, I only know Mr. Blank so well, but like all owners, uh, very successful, very prideful, as he should be, mm-hmm. very fond of his team. My first thought was, this is not going to be good. The, the clock's ticking now because he's embarrassed and someone's going to have to pay, not right away, but the pressure on you guys going, boy, we better get back and win one of these because this, this, this clock is ticking. Well, you start thinking again, you know, logically, and you start thinking run, 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 kick, you know, you start thinking, come on now, what are we doing? And I personally have the right to do that as a general manager, I thought, meaning not questioning out loud to the media, but to me in that moment, okay, wait a minute, maybe I'm missing something here. And you remember, right, wrong, or indifferent, Smitty and I and our relationship, we were were very communicative as far as how things were going with our coaching staff and such, as as I was with at that time with, with, uh, with Dan. And, you know, Dan made a choice to change his D coordinator. Remember coach yeah. Smith, he decided to mm-hmm. another coach Smith, he decided to move on from and uh, at least out of that role. So Dan was 100% focused on defense in that game 
down the stretch. Now you can have people argue. Yeah. He still ultimately was in charge. And, and I understand that. And he understands that you had Kyle who was, you know, of, of course, very adept at what he was doing. And that became a really complicated thing down the stretch because it started getting really dusty and the closer we got and some of the plays that they were making, uh, it was, it was complicated. And then, Oh, by the way, I'm on the sideline. We finally, the, you know, the, the regular uh, part of the game ends uh, and there's a coin flip and literally I, and I'm not trying to, to, to uh, sensationalize this. It felt like that coin was slipping in the air and I was like, Oh my God. Motion. Tom Brady, <laughs> and if this cat gets this flip, yep. I mean, I would say it to no one at that time. Of course I was thinking we are in trouble and sure. Yeah. As the momentum was so yep. clearly in new England's you, you worry about that. That's yep. a legitimate concern. It was a legit, and then he did what he has done so many times and, you know, I remember, we, you know, obviously walking off to finish this point off and, and we're everyone's so down, of course. And, and I remember coming out of the locker room and they, there, are, there are pictures of this. People think that it was Arthur's son, but it was my son who a Mason, who was, I think, uh, eight at the time. He was bawling his eyes out. And to Arthur's credit, as a as a sensitive man, as, as much as he was pissed beyond, he's holding my son. And am I for like, I don't know, 40 seconds. I just, wow. it was a really heartwarming thing to see amid a lot of really funky emotions that I had angry emotions that I had. So how long did it take you to get over that loss? I mean, I've only been to one Super Bowl. I was fortunate enough to win it, but I can't imagine, especially the nature at, 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 at how it happened. How long is it something you still think about? Is it like, what was the next day? Like, you know what I'm saying? Was it something that it was like disbelief? I think that the next days were, were, were really complicated to, to, to battle with that. And, and the conversations that I had with Dan, of course, you know, as co-team builders were, were, you know, they were direct and, and, and Dan, you know, Dan's the type of person that, you know, took it on, of course. And we were in a meeting room and, and there was another coach that put his hand up and, and, you know, raised his hand very, very high and said, look, I should have done more to, dissuade or persuade this towards run, 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 kick basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were a lot of people that were coming to Dan's, to Dan's defense and which I thought was beyond admirable for a staff. And we know how important that is. And I remember it was just, it was, it was complicated. It was complicated as I talked more and more to Arthur about it, Brian, because you're right. I could tell at that point on, I was going to be dealing with something a completely different way. People ask me today, Thomas, would you have been fired in October if you would have won the Super Bowl? And I will say right now, I don't believe I would have kept my job. And that's me being as honest and as uh, you know, open as possible. Arthur Blank is a very competitive man. And Arthur Blank is not, you know, he's, he's one that is two years are really, really important for him. Uh, you know, doesn't matter how you believe in that, but I personally would not have kept my job this year, I don't believe, and, and that's not a, to take it any other way. I, I just believe that that was a once in a, in a career time for me, maybe. I don't know if I'll ever get another opportunity, but it sticks with me every day. It sticks with me when I think about team building, when I think about leadership, when I think about making concrete decisions, when I think about communication with your head coach. There are so many levels to it. I do not think that it, it put us in the, in the, in the, um, in the pit though, Brian, because we came back in 17, we got too deep in the playoffs, which I was really, really impressed with Dan and that staff. 
it was after that that things started right. losing its luster, I felt. And, of course, it ended up where we are what, now. What happened with, with Coach, with, with Dan? Because I was with DQ out in Seattle, and you talk about a defensive mind. We played uh, Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl, and he knew that Peyton Manning was 18% completion over 12 yards. So he had everybody. I mean, he was that into it. So my whole thing was what happened? I've heard guys in that locker room say that maybe he was too much of a nice guy. You know what I mean? So, you know, they just kind of fell. Yeah, let me piggyback off that in a more general. Uh, and, and, and I don't want to make this a negative thing because, look, yeah. I've been fired and I've had to fire coaches. OK, and like Bum Phillips said, you know, there's them two kind of coaches, them that have been fired and them that are going to get fired. <laughs> and, and because it's become more of a, in my opinion, more of a general manager's league, that hot spotlight is more on general managers. So you're seeing more general managers. And you've always talked very, and I know to be true, the, the emotion and the uh, tie to Mike Smith and Dan Quinn and loyalty, and I know Mr. Blank's the same way. Talk a little bit about the business side when you have to make that change, when you have there to you fire go. Mike Smith, when when they had to fire Dan Quinn, when Mr. Blank had to fire you. You talk about him holding your son and that emotional connection, and then he has to turn around and make that business decision. Talk about that aspect of it a little bit. Well, those are, yeah, those are great points. And, and I, I'm the same way, honestly, Brian, for the longest time, I don't know why I thought this, I thought, you know, 13 years in this role, uh, maybe it wasn't necessarily this year, but I was, I always took a lot of pride that I had never been fired up to that moment. I, and you know, people have been fired who are, who are unbelievable, you know, many years earlier, of course, it just depends how it was, but I took a lot of pride in that. And I thought, my God, and I remember talking to some people over uh, across the seas, you know, in the European league that I know, and in professional cycling. And I was on a podcast recently, just like what you said. And they're like, you're not a true executive or a coach until you've had your ass fired. That's the reality of it. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't necessarily want to believe that. So I would say from a business standpoint, yeah, it was, it was complicated. Let's go back to, to, to Mike Smith. Again, we had a really good working relationship. Of course we had our, I didn't call them ups and downs. We had our challenges because we're two humans who are wildly competitive and we learned and grew together and we went through a lot together. I mean, we, we picked some really good players together. We got to a spot in the end where it was complicated. And I, I know it was tough for Smitty at that last part. It was tough for me because, you know, we got to that final year. What was it? 12, uh, Brian, we're a, a, a catch away from getting to the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. Uh, again, remember, and I don't, I don't make light of this. I brag about this all the time. Mike Smith was a three-time coach of the year. That is unbelievably rare. And by the way, a little aside, when I tell people now, like back in the day, GMs used to get five head coaches to, to, to go through the business idea that you're talking about to hire. It's now only two for sure. Yeah. And I used to always say like, wait a minute, can't I start from zero again? Because we <laughs> did it with Smitty. I mean, yeah. besides right. not winning the Super Bowl, I mean, again, three-time coach of the year, there's a reason for that. But unfortunately, I didn't. So I had one more coaching situation and, and here we are. But, you know, I, I really, you know, that was complicated. And I remember because you get to a spot where you develop. I'm a big believer in the partnership, Brian. That was big for me. I said from the very beginning, way back, we, even when I got this job, I said, I do not want to be in a situation like A.J. Smith and Marty Schottenheimer, two amazing football men. Whatever you think about them personally, it doesn't matter. I didn't want to be that. I thought there's got to be a way to navigate this road together. It was one of the reasons that Smitty and I hit it off from the very beginning, because I thought there was no question. 
damn good football coach, damn good defensive coordinator. Yeah, we're both going to grow on certain areas. He on the offensive side, me on getting to know more than just evaluating. We grew. We ended up, unfortunately, not getting to the Super Bowl. Back to our point with Arthur. Arthur's a competitive guy. He knew that he needed to make a change because he felt like it, it had ended and he needed someone to take it a step further. Just like Smitty took it massive steps from Bobby Petrino. He thought Dan could come in and at that, that point, someone could come in and take it to the next level. We get to the Super Bowl with Dan. Dan and I have a great relationship as well, too. I'm very proud of um, today. Even have really good working, uh, not working, but conversational relationships with both. I will say I was a little bit, Brian, I was a little bit uh, shocked. I, I knew things were going awry here, and I knew this was a massively important year for us. But knowing Arthur again, knowing that his ultimate loyalty was not to Dan and me, and I don't say that in a derogatory fashion. Yeah. It was to the fan base. Fans. 100%. And when I just had thought that given some of what went down and how it went down, I thought, you know, maybe there was an opportunity for me to, you know, sort of regroup, uh, you know, with Arthur and, and see if there was another opportunity. And it didn't happen that way. Of course, you know, Arthur was going to make the best move for what he thought the organization was. And it was firing both of us as a regime change and this is good for a flailing, um, you know, fan base, of course. I mean, we're talking about a new stadium, basically. Right. There's a lot involved that I know. Even this is what I know you know. This is not easy to hear, but it's the reality. I have a lot of really good friends on the business side of that organization that I know very confident that they're brought around that round table. TD as well as, you know, I'm, I'm you know, fabricating mm -hmm. – there is no question that a lot of people were saying it's got to be an entire regime change. So I, I accepted that. And, and Brian, in the end, I never got to a spot where I was really down and out and pissed off. I was solid at my lowest there you go. and I was euphoric at my highest after I got fired because I realized I no longer had some of the golden handcuffs that I might've had on during the latter years of, of being here. I, I am a big believer. There is a time and a place to move on. Yeah. And you jumped in your RV and took off. Tell us about your RV. That's what I was about to ask. Tell us man. about your RV travel. Are you really going across the country? Well, so look, you know, uh, we all know this and I, and I love traveling Europe and I probably would be in Europe a lot more with my fiance during this time after I got fired in, in October. But I decided knowing that we were, you know, because of COVID, I was going to do what a lot of those, you know, some of those California people doing, you know, they're, they're <laughs> buying, they're buying Airstreams. I didn't want to buy an Airstream. I ended up buying a, a, a really uh, souped up adventure van. That's a, that's a, um, a sprinter van that is a four by four that can go, you know, out in Moab and do all these things. I could take four bikes with me. That's a mountain bike, a road bike, Brian. You're in. Oh it's man. A, it's a gravel bike and it's my fiance's bike. I have to have a bike for her. <laughs> I have a bike. Off with my snowboards and my golf clubs. I have all these different activities. And um, I just started going back and forth to Boulder. My plan right now, uh, not, not to ramble on this, is I start on May 5th, uh, guys, and I have commitments from about 20 GMs to professional develop in that van. So basically, I'm going to start with just or Jason Light. I'm going to go over to Mickey Loomis in, in New Orleans, over to Nick Casera in Houston, uh, over to, uh, to um, uh, Steve Kime, and I'm going to work my way around the country. And I'm going to do not only professional development, you know, spend some good time with them. My plan is, again, you guys are going to call me a trader back over to media. No. <laughs> I'm going to interview every one of these guys and get some really good pointed GM to GM interviews. 
That now, is you're, awesome. I guess, now your your fiance has signed off on this. She knows she's on a business trip for the next. Yeah. <laughs> she's gonna. She, that's a great point. She's gonna. She's gonna travel with me for a couple times here and there, and then fly back and forth. Got she it. always gets a kick. You know, the funny thing is, we were doing this whole thing ch- chasing some snow this off season. You know, because we're we're avid snowboarders. Believe it or not, at fifty something, because I love one board. And she would fly out there to meet me on my twenty four hour drive out there my ass was dead tired and she would meet me out there for four days and then she would fly back and then i would drive it back she's so got to figure it out like, I love like, it. that's not my fault you want Smart to drive. Young lady. <laughs> that's well, what everyone says thomas thank you for coming by man you are more than welcome to come by here anytime you want to continue to keep it real like you did on this particular episode that's that'll do it for this episode a total access to locker room for more insight with the locker room point of view check out the latest episodes every wednesday and friday on Apple and Spotify. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.